All right. Hi, I'm Jay Boninsinga. Hi, I'm Jill Norton, and welcome to This Should, should Be a, a podcast. podcast. Yeah, that's how we did it. And it was perfection. Right. Of course. <laughs> Our topic for this one, is it going to be revealed, or can we say right now what it is? I mean, I really feel like we should just talk for a while and let them think about it. And... Okay. I thought this was going to be our, like, tight, shorter version. Well, we should at least have a little intro, and hi. Okay. Hi, what have you been up to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, I guess we can just go into it. (laughs) And Um, And I know that I always make an excuse for why it's taken so long, and this has taken exceptionally long, but that's because we were having equipment difficulties and oh, my, my expensive yeah. microphone. That's a good excuse. My expensive microphone <laughs> started not working, so I got a whole new fancy system. Yeah, this I just feel so visually professional. We've got like headphones on and everything. <laughs> if somebody saw us, they'd go, "Hey, they're doing a look, podcast." There's two professionals. <laughs> but if they heard us, that might be a different story. True, we'd probably lose a couple followers. <laughs> All right, well, we can make your short and sweet, so let's, uh, we can just talk about uh, what we want to talk about. Yeah, in fact, why don't we, can we talk about music? Let's talk about music. We've been talking about it forever. It's a, it's a linchpin of our lives. Yeah. So I, 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 let me first start uh, by saying music captured my imagination when I was about eight years old. I, my dad had this big Heath kit stereo, and somehow I got my hands on this record. It was the Moody Blues, and it was their album on lovely vinyl, of course, called On the Threshold of a Dream. I put the needle down, and the, the, the first cut, this is the first cut, and we're going to play it for you right now. Okay, here it is. We're sorry. <laughs> Due to copyright issues, you're not allowed to play this music. Okay, you're not going to do that. Oh, wasn't that amazing? Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. Wouldn't that have... It really sets the tone. You can't do that for every song. I can can actually, you know, I just remember, you know, there's this, like, cool British voice and this weird spacey drone, and he comes on and he goes, I have miles and miles of files, pretty files of your forefather's fruit. And now to suit our great computer, your magnetic ink. Oh. And then there was there was like another voice. It was like he was like, you know, more modulated and he would he was like the voice of reason. He would go, Keep as cool as you can, man. <laughs> Stay cool. Anyway, it was just it's just a lovely album. It's got amazing pop songs on it and beautiful. And they were glam. They were early versions of glam. I loved the way they looked. They had these super skinny corduroy peg leg pants and, and pointy boots and, and velvet jackets and Roger Daltrey curls. And they just, they all look so cool. And that's what sunk a hook into me. I became a lover of music when I was eight years old, and it, it's been, you know, Katie bar the door ever since. Tana's here. Our legal counsel is here. That's so we're all, we're good. <laughs> Tana, your so thoughts? cute. 
so you said that that was like your first like formative music moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have one. Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I have a lot of them from different periods of my life. But I do want to add that um, my and I think I actually mentioned this in a previous broadcast, but maybe not. But when Melissa and I went to a Moody Blues concert when we were freshmen in high school, because she was such a cool hippie chick. In fr- as a freshman, nobody was cool except Melissa. And we went to a Moody Blues concert, and we were like by far the youngest people there. And we had like floor seats, and we were screaming and yelling and standing and dancing, and everybody was getting mad at us, <laughs> wanted us to sit down. Um, so anyway, that's a my Moody Blues memory. But I mean, when I grew that was up- probably they were later than the one the Moody Blues that I fell in love with. That was probably like Knights in White Satin, right? Era, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. But the people who were there were probably like, you know, 10 years at least older right. than we were. And we thought they were all old people. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, my music was very heavily based on listening to my dad's music. And he, he had just tons of great vinyl records. And I grew up listening to that. And my mom did. Did we do this already? <laughs> I feel like I'm telling the story. And I we no. haven't. Okay. All no. right. All right. You've told uh, it to a lot of people, but yeah, well, I, but I, feel <laughs> I don't like think our audience for our podcasts have heard this. Our huge audience. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, well, if you have, great. <laughs> but no, but I love, and his and music. Just t- choose one. What What would be, if you had to choose one? What would be, I, have, I have many myself, but I was forced to choose one. No one forced you to do anything. <laughs> I'm doing it my well, way. Well, if you had to choose one, what would it be? What would be your... I mean, like my first song that I remember. That you fell in love with. Would... You went, wow. Right. I mean, it's probably like a Jackson 5 song, you know? Don't say I'll it's be... probably. <laughs> Just say it's a Jackson 5 song. It's a Jackson Jay. 5 song. I'm so glad you asked. That's it. <laughs> Like I'll be there, but um, I mean that like so that was little, and that's what I I loved when I was little because I loved Michael Jackson because he was like you know, kind of my age ish. Yeah. But yeah, but that was all, and then so I mean like my music formative moments are like just go on and on. That I have so many like throughout that each time like I have them almost by decade. You know, growing up in the 70s, it was my dad's music, which was everything from like disco, a lot of R&B, a lot of very cool dance music to Led Zeppelin and America and Crosby, Stills and Nash. He had just all these cool albums and I would listen to all of them. But then when I finally got kind of on my own track, which would have been like junior high when I started like buying my own vinyl albums and I bought Journey and then Eclipse and then uh Pieces of Eight by Styx were like two of my first albums that I had and also two of the first concerts I ever went to. So and then I was just like I I lived on a street with a bunch of guys and I just picked up the music they were listening to and I was I hung out with a bunch of guys. It was all like ACDC, Van Halen, and I started easing into the 80s when I was in high school with that kind of stuff. But also my major formative moment would have been at my grandma's house and seeing Madonna for the first time and just changed my life forever. You are going to talk about your father's, you know, label and okay. I'm all alone. Oh my God, we got to talk about that. That's, okay. I mean, that's... Yeah, no, 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 that's very good. I a mean, a huge but, part of your musical life is, you know... Yes, but I mean, I didn't really 
realize it at the time. You know, I knew we had 45s of my dad's, but my dad wasn't actively doing that when I was a kid. So it was just sort of like this thing, you know, like I didn't, it didn't mean much to me at the time. So it wasn't until I went to like a vinyl night at a, at a bar and uh, you know when I heard it for the first time on vinyl I heard all alone and I was in this bar like looking around like what is this music and I looked at the bartender who had put the album on and he was like this is your dad's and I thought this is so cool and so I, I got a friend of mine who was a musician producer to digitize all of my dad's 45s and then presented those to him as a gift and then and then we ended up when we got married having our band play play the song and I kind of dedicated it to him because it was sort of like his lost career that he never had probably because of me. Right. That's what you left out. What what, did, what was the career? What was the lost career? Oh, well, the, his, his record company. He had a label called Accident Records when when before when, I was born. and That had the slogan. <laughs> if it's a hit, it's by accident. That was kind of the funny thing, or I don't know if it's funny, but, you know, my mom... When I when she got pregnant with me, she was just like, "Sorry, dude, you're not going to bars and looking for talent anymore. You got to get a job." <laughs> so my dad, who had gone to law school and was becoming a lawyer, she wanted him to just focus on that. So it, there was a lot of music going on in Cincinnati in those days, like in the '60s, when when your mom was pregnant with you, '66. Cincinnati was right. I mean, I don't know. I was... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Well, I'm telling you, uh, <clears throat> trust me. <laughs> Cincinnati was... There was a lot of stuff going on in Cincinnati. Right. Um, well, I know your Uncle Bill is tuned in to all that. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of just, you know, recording studios and... Should we listen to a little bit of I'm All Alone? Sure. Let's listen to a little bit of it. I'm all alone. Amazing piece of music. <laughs> yeah. I see, it sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday by by you know somebody like. Uh, I thought know, I thought it was very Amy Amy, Amy Weintraub. Yeah, Weintraub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Winehouse, Millhouse, Amy Millhouse. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I thought it was very cool. Amy Winehouse kind of song. Uh, I don't know. You've thrown me all off. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I guess, okay, well, I've got one I can throw you off with All that, right. <laughs> that wasn't on your list, but okay. how about your two beautiful sons, Bill and Joey, and their influence on music and their influence, they affected some of my influence on music. <laughs> but I mean, I always consider myself so lucky. I yeah. mean, at the tail end, it went off of the rails a little bit, but for most of the time that they were with us, I only was listening to just very cool. Yeah, what was that? Jazz, Aust- alt right. jazz, R and B. That Australian band that they introduced Hi- us to, Hiatus, Hiatus Coyote. Coyote. What can I say? My, my two. I'm so proud of my two boys, Bill and Joey. They're both great musicians. Joey studied music at Roosevelt University, jazz studies. When you're <laughs> right, they they have been a huge part of my musical taste 
being formulated over the years and just reformulated and rebooted and I mean it was cool that like when they wanted to go to a concert when they were underage we would go with them because we had to so we would go to these crazy concerts we saw amazing shows but yeah but it was really but it was fun it was like just cool listening to what they liked what was that great club that we saw you know the I'm I'm drawing a blank on all the names, but you know there's like this L.A. sound now. This is like this new like, L.A. sound, and it, it's like ha- it's part funk and it's part jazz and it's the uh, Bottom Lounge. The Bottom, yeah, the okay. Bottom Lounge. Okay, yes, yeah. And were you there? I think I was. That yeah, one, that, it was yeah. amazing. Washington. Amazing. The the so, Kamasi Washington. Kamasi Washington. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. You know, my two sons are amazing musicians, and what can I say? They've influenced me as much as I've influenced them. They say I've influenced them, but I don't even see that, you know. But you, I think when you're a parent, just like your dad, almost inadvertently influenced you. Right. Cause he, he, didn't, he didn't go, if I have all these 45s out, my daughter will become a lover of music. No, it was just me listening that's to That's my evil plan. <laughs> no, they don't. That's, he just had good know. taste. Yeah. I would make like these little mix tapes for my kids to play on the way to school each morning. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's really a good point. Thank you. Another uh, part of my formative years in music was as a record store manager and I I started out as a record store clerk and um, it was you know some of my favorite years of my life I was a you know senior in high school and then I was a freshman at Michigan State and I worked when I was when I was a senior in high school I was a clerk and I loved it so much the following year I became a manager of a record store by the same company that had a chain of record stores in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's long since defunct, but the, the original record store that I worked at in 1977 was called Tom Sawyer's Book Raft. <laughs> and they had rush they had books and records and magazines and paperbacks and stuff. That this, this was my happy place. It shaped me for my life. I mean, I'm an author. I, I've written many of those pulpy paperbacks that are in the spinner rack at your local <laughs> record store, you know. But I, what, I, what I remember most was, I think of it as the day the music died, which is from a song, you know, an iconic song called American Pie uh, by Don McLean. But I think of that about that all the time. He was th- singing about the death of Buddy Holly, and a, and a great, you know, musical, uh, you know, archetype uh, passes away. It really shakes you, and it does feel like the music. The, it's the day the music has died. So I, one day, it was August sixteenth, nineteen seventy-seven. I was working a shift. It was summer break, so I was working five days a week at the music store, and I was just working a regular shift, minding my own business. And I rem- I'll never forget the phone rang. And it was the owner. And he said, Jay, I need to know how many Elvis records there are. Like, in in the world? (laughs) No, in the store, you idiot. Oh, oh, uh, okay. And I went and hurriedly counted them. We have uh, 53 Elvis records. All right. I'm sending over a truck with everything we have in the warehouse. I'm like, okay... And he goes, 
You, you haven't heard, have you? I'm like, no. Elvis died like an hour ago. And I, I don't know, for some reason, that was a huge moment in my life that I will never forget. If you talk about Elvis, it makes me think about my, you know, my dad when we first got him all liquored up at Cumberland and he started telling you about his Elvis story yeah. and how he just loved Very Elvis. Very moving. And he would get moving. so, I'm like, I have not heard my dad this animated about anything. He was, it was all, almost choked up. <clears throat> he was almost, you know. Yeah, like the first time he heard Elvis and what yeah. that felt like. And yeah, that was pretty huge. You know, you were talking about like working at the record store and that being kind of a pivotal thing in your life. And so I, my kind of comparison was MTV. And I just stayed up all night watching MTV videos. I like, I don't even know how my mom let me stay up all night. She, she probably didn't know. <laughs> I just remember being on the, I was addicted to MTV. So that was a huge part of my growing up and learning about bands because Cincinnati didn't have any really good radio stations. I mean, they did, but they were like rock and roll and right. classics. But, you know, this op opened my world up to this whole new world of music and just having the visuals to go along with it. And it was just, I... It was exciting. Lo I loved it. It was so cool. Yeah. Do you remember that show, 120 Minutes? Of course. That was... that. I think that show is one of the landmark indie rock moments. Yeah. To have 120 Minutes viewed by that many people and having bands like Para Ubu and stuff on television, on network television. or Well, it was, you know, basic cable, but still. Right. That was a huge landmark in the development of, of the indie music world. Right. You know. Right. Like my Madonna video. That was the first time I saw Bob Mould. That was the first time I saw, you know, right. uh, Husker Du. Uh, you know, it, it's, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, I had my... MTV's not like that anymore. I know. Well, they stopped <laughs> playing videos, which is right. strange. Although, actually, I looked, but on our cable, there's like an MTV station. That's and, music. And, well, I went to look at it, yeah. and it has it has all their shows that right. they've created. But then they have a, like a music thing that's just like, you know, classic videos right. or something. Right. I started watching it one night, and I thought, oh, this is a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> I think another reason why I feel like we talked about this was when over COVID, when we watched the Bee Gees documentary. And how that just totally just took me back to my childhood. And Our legal counsel is kind of <laughs> having, having like a seizure. <laughs> Hi, baby girl. Come here. You want to talk? Aww. Our, our legal counsel had, a, had wanted a word with us. I think she was concerned that we were getting a little close to copyright infringement. Are you okay? Are we clear? <laughs> oh, <that's so> <laughs> right. When I was a kid, I for some reason I just I wanted to learn how to play harmonica, which you can't really do. It's an experiential thing. A harmonica is is not you know like a piano. You know, there's not there's, there there are no harmonica teachers that come to your house named you know Madame Suzatska and teach you. I'm, Blow into this first hole. You're not blowing. There's, that that's not the. It's more experiential. Like you just start going. I I just when I was a kid I was just like, ah, oh, it's just so cool. It's just like. 
I just I just started playing along with records, you know, Bo Diddley records, and so I just. I learned how to do that. And once that happened, then I started becoming popular and getting girls because I could. And I learned all these little tricks. I taught myself how to do the. And then I learned if you if you had more than one harmonica in a different key, you could play along with people like really easily. So the harmonica became not only my musical influence and shaped me as a person, it also helped me win friends and influence people and and be popular because, you know, the, I I remember when I was like junior in high school one of my friends called me up and said hey can you you know you're so good on that harmonica when we're all sitting around drinking and everything could you come out to the pool that i'm a lifeguard at on fourth of july and play with this person who plays guitar and everything and i'm like and it was like my first gig as a musician but i could i could figure out how to play you know the other guy was like, uh, do you know any Neil Young? And I'm like, uh, not really. You know, I'm like, yeah, of course, Neil Young. Are you kidding? And I didn't know any Neil Young and everything. And he just starts playing, you know, Heart of Gold. Bum, 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 bum. And I just go. And it just kind of blended in with the guy in it. I was off and running, and it's been with me my whole life. It's a, it's a lovely little thing that I keep in my pocket. You don't have to have a road case or a van to carry them around. You can just... And, <laughs> and I believe, Jill, as our audio expert and engineer, don't you have a cut of me playing with a band? I have several, yes. Okay, well, let's listen. so much fun when we played that night. I remember that well. In fact, I remember I used to play with a guy who was a one, just this wonderful person. I fell in love with him. He was just the sweetest guy, but his nickname was Chainsaw. <laughs> he was my kid's nanny's husband, and I went to see him at Grant Park. Sure enough, this guy was like an amazing 
blues musician, and I started playing with him. I started playing in bars with him and stuff. And finally, one day, he said, Bodensinger, we're, we're going to have to come up with a blues name for you. This is the greatest moment of my life. Uh, yeah, Bodensinger, I, I, I thought of your blues name. Bone Stinger. <laughs> So that, that I have that going for me. That's my blues name. Oh, I don't have an equivalent to this, but you are an amazing harmonica player, and I love watching you play. And you played at our wedding, which was awesome, with the big Jack Garrett band, and very cool. That's a nice side talent of yours. Many talents. Well, you, I mean, you're being modest, and God bless you, you know, but you have an amazing voice. You could talk about that. Like, when did you say to yourself, I... Because eventually, as an adult, you eventually took singing lessons. Right. But I mean, that was just... What led to that, though? What was it, what was it that where you went, I love singing. I love... what Was there a song or what was there... I mean, I, since I was little, like what I was talking about before, I used to love singing and dancing and I love... But I never, you know, did anything with it and I never thought that I but had... But you, you, were, you were like when you were... I think I did take some like choral union class at Miami for an extra credit and everybody got A's, but that didn't really count. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were even younger, you were going, Do, Re, Mi, as simple as one, two, three. Wow. No. No? <laughs> no. I mean, maybe. Who knows? I mean, but, you know, I just love singing. I love singing to myself. I love singing in the car when I'm by myself. I love turning music up loud. And so basically, I took lessons when I just thought I want to be able to sing in a car in front of another person and not have them like want to jump out of the car. <laughs> like I just want to know that my voice isn't awful and totally off tune. So that was really my main motivation. If you want to know the truth, I wasn't expecting at the age of 45 to get a new career in <laughs> singing. But anyway, so you know what, you know what I'm going to ask you next. You're not going to ask me to sing, are you? Oh, come on. No. Nope. <laughs> oh, come on. Just... Babe. Yeah. All right. We're sorry. <laughs> we cannot hear this person singing for copyright and psychological reasons. My, my legal counsel has <laughs> convinced me not to do that. Oh, you have a beautiful voice. I mean, you're just like a classic example of somebody who doesn't hear themselves the way others hear them right i'm sure that's true well this kind of brings us to another huge important musical benchmark in my life which was i would say it began with the discovery of my brother's band the riptones the first time i saw uh the band was in a little saloon in chicago so I walk in, I hear this amazing Zydeco, New Orleans, Cajun, rockabilly, hybrid rock band playing. that, And it was magical. I heard it when I was walking in the door and I was getting my, you know, hand stamped and showing my ID. And, and I, was, I was like, is that them? I walked in and I saw them on stage and they're playing... This band is like, you know, with a squeeze box and, you know, one of my brothers, Todd, who, who's a great singer and he was sort of the, at the time, he was kind of the front man of the band. He's playing a, 
a washboard that fits over. It's a very, it's a traditional Zydeco Cajun instrument. I think they call it a fetwa. We'll post a picture of them. Yeah, we'll post a picture of them. And it's, 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 it almost looks like a metal breastplate, and they play it with, uh, you know, like a washboard being, you know, <laughs> bottle cap openers. And it's, it's primitive, but beautiful and. I could not believe my ears. I sat just agog watching them, and when they were done, I just told them, there's magic here. There's there's magic. To make a long story short, they went on to record at least a half a dozen records, and they, they ended up on this wonderful label in Chicago called Bloodshot Records, one of the great indie labels in the world, really. And it's considered one of the great roots rock labels ever. And so it was it was a it was a big honor and and it served them well. They had a, an amazing career for many years during the eighties and nineties when the when the rockabilly movement was very hot in Chicago and all, all around the, the country at that point. I thought that we should play a like a, maybe a little montage of their music. So, well they so are our we, intro <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I totally forgot to mention that. Right. Intro yeah. and outro. But but it, and also well, like when you've read your stories in the past, there are always the music that fades in and fades out. It yeah. should it should be mentioned though that you know my youngest brother Jeb, he was the brains behind the Riptones. He invented the band. He wrote most of the music, if not all the music, unless they were doing covers. They had an amazing career. It's in past tense because they kind of have folded you know, their tent. You can still find all their records on, on uh, Spotify. And you can find a record on Spotify that Jeb composed. Much of Jeb's instrumental in, uh, compositions are used on our podcasts. And that's completely Jeb. That's all Jeb. Jeb, you know, does, writes the music and he's completely self-taught. He's, he's a genius, in my opinion. And but you be the judge. Let's play let's play some tracks. Just a like a montage of tracks. You said you loved me. Then you changed your mind I put it behind me Now I'm doing just fine Life is so easy Since you left me Tip in the nose Single guy, lots of dough He's in the prime of his life Just ask him to tell you so
bringing that all together with the party that Todd had back in October with everybody. And he built <clears throat> he built this beautiful. She's referring to the middle brother, my middle brother, who was who was the uh, lead singer for many years of the Riptones and, and is a musicologist in his own right. Right. And he built this beautiful. He's got a new farmhouse with a beautiful barn that he built out into a like legit bar with a stage and everybody was there. We all played music and Joey and Bill were there. Joey's girlfriend, Nora singing and you and Jeb and Todd all on stage. It was really cool. It was such a great thing to have you all playing again, especially sort of post COVID. Cause you know, we used to always break into little jam sessions that are Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, get togethers, but to have that. Do you have any uh, like video clips of, that music yeah. being played. Oh, yeah. Maybe we could play a little bit of that, yeah. you know, just for fun. Yeah. Because that would be like, you know, this is the Riptones 25 years later. Right. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Right? You go if you have something to say, but uh, this kind of leads into why Chicago will never have a scene. Go ahead. I want to hear this. I have a feeling that you'll disagree with this. I will. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place to start it. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've always felt that Chicago, for some reason, which I have theories, of course, but who knows? I mean, they're just I'm pulling all of this, you know, out of thin air. But it seems like Chicago really is anti-scene, meaning other cities like Seattle and New York, you know, Seattle with, of course, the grunge scene in the '90s, um, New York. <laughs> In the 70s with punk rock, huge phenomenon. You know, even L.A. has had their scenes. There was, you know, the L.A. hipster country for a while in the late 80s, early 90s. There's hip-hop scenes in uh, New York and and in L.A. and in Philly and, and in D.C. And all these cities have scenes. Chicago, even though it's the home of chess records and the blues and you know when the rolling stones come to chicago they go to chess records they record songs they play in little bars like the double door in chicago chicago has amazing clubs we have an amazing music scene music right but it seems like there's something in chicago that is antithetical or it's sort of inoculated against having a scene. Well, I think it's just you're looking at it the wrong way. I mean, I think the difference is that Chicago is so diverse and has so many different kinds of things that that's why it's a great music city. They've got what? like the alt country, the Wilco, right. Nico Case. Right. But is that Blood the Chicago Star- scene? But you know, well, most people would not recognize it as the Chicago well, scene. Well, it's part of Chicago. I mean, it's, it's just totally how you, it's, part it's of how Chicago. It's how you're defining a scene. You, see, like, the, I mean, so a scene is everybody's doing the same thing. A scene is something that's recognized by Google. You know, it's recognized on Wikipedia. Is it, and Chicago. Well, then then you have to say Chicago blues is a scene. You can cut my theory to shreds very easily. But that was before there was such a thing as a scene, Chicago blues, because it it blended in with so many, uh, so many things because it was in the 40s, you know, and in the 50s. Right. There there wasn't, there wasn't the media 
that we have today. So, you know, like the grunge scene became a brand. You know, people sold like flannel shirts and Doc Martens. Right, but that's, you know. a, that's a, not a way to li- I mean, you, we talked about it the other night. We watched a documentary called Hype that the minute that they start selling things and trying to make a scene out of it and start profiting from it and like, oh, this is the new scene. Like that's when the musician well, part of it, kind of, like that's not part of the actual music scene. You make a good point and you're probably right and I'm probably wrong, but I still feel strongly about Chicago being an outlier. Chicago is different from any city in the world. I agree with and, that. And I can, I can come up with like a million reasons why that, that's the case. No, I know. I mean, she, I know it is, but that kind yeah. of goes back to the whole thing is that Chicago is so much you, of... Ev- you figured, yeah. Yeah, it's you, everybody. It's so many different, I think all it, kinds of music, different yeah. I mean, Chicago, ethnicities and cultures. And- when, that's the reason why there's not a scene usually, because it's so wide and diverse. It has so many crossroads of all these influences and stuff you know you think this is a scene we got polka music down in you know pilsen that'll break your heart you know i think i've said enough (laughs) when when in the 1980s when my brother's band was at the peak there was a huge rockabilly scene in chicago I mean, you could go to any one of these bars, the Elbow Room. You know, there's there's a great bar that was once a Polish dance hall. Where was it? Belmont. It's still there. It's it's one of the great small clubs to see music in Chicago, still to this day. Shubas? Shubas. Oh, I didn't know that. Shubas. You didn't? Okay. I didn't know it was a polka dance hall. (laughs) No, not a polka. It was a Polish dance hall. Like, you know, from the, like the forties, like, like big bands and stuff. No, I've seen a million shows there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But but that's, that's the thing. You know, Chicago has such a rich history that goes back centuries culturally. Yeah. There there was a time when you could go to every one of these bars and you'd see Big Daddy's Son and the Outer Planets, one of the great rockabilly bands of all time. You could see, you know, the road, Hi-Fi and the Roadburners, you know, sort of this punk rockabilly band. You could see the Elvis Brothers. They, they went on a major label. They got on Columbia Records and they were huge for a while. You would think it, you know, we think Chicago would be known for a rockabilly scene. If you consider all the rockabilly bands that came from Chicago, the Waco Brothers were, were part of that. Right. The British people came here. Right. But if I can say one other thing, that's that you are, and I are in it. You know, we're we're here in Chicago. So when you think of, yeah. we don't we're not talking about our own scene. But if you've right. got some rockabilly fans in Nashville or Iowa or wherever. They may be like, oh, Chicago's got this great rockabilly scene. Right. So it's from out, it's external, how right. people see us. That's, that's so that's true. A scene. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I went to film school in the 80s. And I remember like, like 1987 when I was getting ready to graduate and I was working on my thesis film and I, and I needed a, a, a stage for my thesis film. Right. So we went all around the city and one place we went was, at the time it was called Cabaret Metro. Oh. Now, today it's called... The Metro. Right, of course. But Cabaret Metro, 1987. Yeah. I remember vividly going in there with my one of my best friends, 
and my location scout, Rob Werner. And Rob Werner's like, yeah, they got this great stage upstairs, but we can't go there right now because there's this band setting up. They're supposed to be, like, really hot. They're called the uh, Pumpkin Smashers or something. So we went up there. <laughs> Billy Corgan was, like, setting up his guitar, and the band was setting up and everything. But, yeah, the Smashing Pumpkins. That should have been a scene in the 90s. That should have been a scene it in Chicago scene. with Veruca Salt. It and was. It wasn't really a How scene. How do you see? That's what I mean. How do you know? Because it's not like if you... Everybody... It, I mean, if it you, was Urgevacil, Smashing Pumpkins, Veruca Salt, Liz right, Fair. I mean, there right. was like... That wasn't a scene. How do you know it's not a scene? Because you're not outside because of here. Because it's not, it's not in the history books as a scene. She's looking it up now. No, she, no, no. <laughs> I already did look it up earlier today, and there's a huge scene. Let's see, which is the best? Well, like, uh, there for so many articles. Well, first about of all, it. you need a name for a scene. Like the grunge scene is obvious where that is and what. So you have to was. put a label on something. Like, I'm not saying it's 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 proper, or it's correct, or it's good, or any of that. I'm just saying there's a reason why Chicago kind of eschews it. Kind of, I wish I could remember his name. He was he's like a he's like a, a producer. He produced. Steve Albini? Steve Albini. Steve Albini would be the first one to go, there's no scene. Chicago right. almost resents it being told there's a scene. I mean, to you me, know? this whole conversation is scene equals putting a label on something mm -hmm. and making it all the same. When the whole beauty, the scene, if you will, of Chicago is that there is, it's just There a, is no scene. That it's just... It's, it's just, it's always, yeah. It's, it's a lot of unique. It's always percolating right, here. Right. There's yeah. a lot of music from all cultures, That's what I'm all saying. sides. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. All right. Uh, we, you know what? We're getting toward the end of our uh, podcast, but I just, I, I want to end on this for me and, and then Jill you can end on whatever you want to end on but okay. my final thing about music is one of the most lovely things that's happened to me in my life that revolves around music is falling in love with this woman almost instantly the minute I sat down with her for our first date I fell in love with her <laughs> that woman is the person sitting across from me right now on the other microphone. You know, the second date, practically, I think it was the second date, we were sitting uh, on the floor of my living room in my, uh, you know, little apartment. Jill's going through my DVDs and my records and stuff, and she, at some point that night, I saw your iTunes, and I, this iTunes is like a carbon copy of my iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a lot of overlap, but we have a lot of different things, too. There's a lot of music that you listen to that I don't listen to, and there's a lot of music I listen to that you don't listen to. So we have, we have a huge overlap of stuff that we both love, which is beautiful. Yeah. I also have a little surprise for oh, you. No. This is a lightning round. Okay. You know, and this is for you. Okay. Okay? All right. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> take, I guess I don't have a choice. Take a deep breath. <gasps> okay. <laughs> Ten lightning questions. One. Beatles or stones? Stones. Two. Huge arenas or small clubs? Small clubs. Three. Debbie Hari or Courtney Love? Courtney Love. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I love Debbie Harry too, but Courtney Love's just more of my scene. Four. 
Glam or punk? I'm going to have to go punk, I guess. Five. Madonna or Gaga? Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean... No, it's Lady Gaga, right? <laughs> look, I love Lady Gaga. I really do. But I just started liking her in the recent years. And Madonna has just been a huge thing in my life. So even though I probably don't listen to as much of her now, but the music that formed this person sitting across from you is heavily Madonna influenced and just why are you taking your headphone off is my I had an itch okay my, my ear itch I thought my voice was annoying you <laughs> jeez <laughs> alright number six grunge or British invasion grunge seven mp3s or vinyl vinyl number eight Almond Brothers or Leonard Skinnerd? I mean, Leonard Skinnerd, I guess. I just, I just don't, that's not my, I don't know as, enough about it. I only know more, I know mostly about both of those from watching documentaries with you, but I know more Leonard Skinner than I knew Almond Brothers, so. Okay, that's fair. That's good. All right, number nine. 1980s or 1990s? Oh, that's tough too. I'm both. I almost can't pick, but. That's why I threw it in there. You have to pick. You have to. I mean, I guess I'm going to say 80s just because 80s really like formed the person who then fell in love with the 90s, you know, so it's, it's a transition. But I mean, the 90s are right up there. It's hard to really separate them. Finally, number 10. Boys to men or new kids on the block? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't listen to either of them. <laughs> Literally. You have to choose, which Jill, one was, I'm which, sorry. Which one was Justin Timberlake in? New Kids on the Block. And then that, that one. Okay. But I mean, honestly, I never listened to it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a lot of mail on that. <laughs> yeah, from our 30 people. Who our, we'll get 37 pieces of mail. Oh, I'm sure. From all our fans. I love and I love pieces of mail. Like they're gonna actually like write something right, and right. put a stamp on it. And then they're gonna put a stamp on it and send it. Well, I assume you have answers to all those questions. No, no, I but that was for you. Well then hello. Oh, I don't we can't go through the same thing for me. That's Beatles uh, or Stones. This, this, Just this do same. it. Okay. <laughs> all right, stones. I mean I guess I know how you're gonna answer Yeah, all you know those. how I'm gonna answer all these. Huge arena or small clubs. Small clubs. Debbie Harry, Courtney Love. You're going to say Debbie Harry. Debbie Harry. Yeah. <laughs> glam or punk, you're going to say glam. Glam. <laughs> Madonna or Gaga, I'm mean, going to say Gaga. Gaga. <laughs> Grunge or British Invasion, you're going to say British Invasion. <laughs> this is good. Just answer them for me. Yeah. Just you, answer them for you me. You can go get a drink or something. <laughs> MP3s or vinyl, you... You well, vinyl. You'll pick vinyl. Yeah, we both will. Almond Brothers, Leonard Skinner. You're gonna pick Almond Brothers. Brothers. Mm -hmm. 1980s or 1990s? I don't know how you pick that. 1990s. Because you're, you're 1970s guy. Yeah, 1990s. Okay. And boys to men or new kids on the block? Why did you? Boys to men. Okay. If you had like Bell Biv DeVoe, then <laughs> uh, that, that I would have taken. <laughs> well, Jill, yeah. this has just been a treat. It has. It's been a sparkling, frothy. Wonderful time, and I want to thank you again for buying all this letting, equipment, <laughs> for buying all this equipment, and letting me be your husband. 
Thank you for letting me be your wife <laughs> and your producer. And th- special thanks to our legal counsel, yes. Frida. Yeah. She's recovering from her <laughs> n- nervous breakdown earlier. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, I guess that's it. Yeah. So rock on. Rock on. Till rock next on. time. Till next time. All right. Love ya. Love ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't press record. <laughs> <laughs> The music for This Should Be a Podcast is Close Shave by The Riptones. And like everything good, it's available on Spotify. <laughs>